Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. It's the beginning of the end. Da, da, da. Final season begins. That angers me that he can't fold that pizza. I had the same note. Wait, do you but, not like that part of the movie? Because that's, no, that's no, 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 the no. movie. No. I thank God every day I know the lyrics to enter the same man. <laughs> after brutal dumping. No, that sounds terrible. <laughs> after, <laughs> after I took a brutal dump. <laughs> Squirrel my chipmunks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you are listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of over 200 episodes for your listening pleasure. What is going on? Well, dog my cats or cat my dogs. Dog or, dog my cats and new tiles or whatever yep, it is. Yep, yep. As I said before, squirrel my chipmunks. Oh, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are we talking about then? We're doing the 1997 David Mamet film, David Mamet PG film. Yes. The Spanish Prisoner. His one of two PG films. And I'm, I'm blanking on the other one. What well, was the Shel Silverstein one? Right, right. There you go. All right. Everything changes for rising corporate star Joe Ross when he meets the wealthy and mysterious Jimmy Dell at a tropical resort. Dell offers to help Ross protect his new business process invention, but in short order, Ross finds himself falsely accused of murder. Working with the FBI and its assistant Susan Ricci, is it Ricci? Yeah. Well, that's spelled the same as Christina Ricci's. Yeah, yeah. Ross sets out to prove his innocence and disentangle himself from the diabolical entrapment. I mean, I've heard better. Anymore, you're kind of giving stuff away. True. I mean, that's, and that's, yeah, the whole point of this movie is, you know, it's one of those movies like, don't reveal the ending or don't reveal, because it does have a lot of twists and turns and, yeah, who do you trust kind of thing. So The Spanish Prisoner has a runtime of 110 minutes. It's rated PG, like we just said. Production budget of $10 million. Came out on Friday, April 3rd, 1998. Uh, did you say 97 before? I did say 97. I thought I saw 97. Why do I have 98 there? Please hold. I have 97 because the IMDb page is telling me it's 1997. But yet the release date is 1998. Is it? Hey. Well, I, I mean... He's limited beforehand, maybe? No, I mean, I think it probably it could be a couple things. One, it could be that they pushed the date back and they didn't really update it, but I never saw any notes about that. Right. The other thing is like, you know, there are people inputting this stuff, so they could be just getting it wrong. You know, mm. I mean, they just could not be paying attention. It, it happens. So anyways, it's 1998, April 3rd. Oh, you know what? It came out at the Toronto International Film Festival, September 8th. Yeah. That doesn't count. That's in that. France. And you're in the movie business. You should know that. You should know that. Anyways, opening weekend, it did $124,000. Domestic, 9.5. International, 5.3 for a worldwide total of $13.8 million. Production company was Jasmine Productions Incorporated. Uh, Jean Dominion Productions. I probably said that wrong. Magnolia Films and Sweetland Films. Distributed by Sony Pictures Classics. So I said it came out on April 3rd, 1998. Went up against a wide release, Lost in Space and Mercury Rising. 
that is the uh how you doing, Lost in Space, right? The Gillette. <laughs> Unlimited budget of the universe. I'd give it all up for a can of raid. <laughs> oh, boy. Ellie, you also had a limited release, The Butcher Boy. Uh, on the 10th of April, the week after, you had a wide release of Species 2, City of Angels, My Giant, and The Odd Couple 2. And uh, some bigger movies coming out. Well, Species 2 was popular, but I don't know if it was... I don't think remember being good. Oh, no, it wasn't Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. And the Odd Couple 2, I mean, it's like... But you got the Odd Couple 2, it's got some back. I don't think that did money, though. I don't think that did business. Didn't do grumpier old men business? No, no, but that's exactly why it got made. Uh, limited release, you had Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain. So it's a big butler. Uh, I saw that. <laughs> you also, uh, the week before, the 27th of March, you had Grease in a re-release, The Newton Boys, and Meet the Deedles, and a limited release of The Proposition... No looking back and a price above rubies. I'm surprised Grease's re-release was a wide release, but in fact it was, Butler. It's Grease. I mean, I'm not a huge fan, but I know everybody else is. I heard it's the word, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this movie was written and directed by David Mamet. Uh, he has directed House of Games, State in Maine, and Spartan. Uh, he also wrote those films. He's, wrote, he's also written movies that he didn't direct, which was uh, Wag the Dog, The Verdict, and H Hannibal, the, the movie Hannibal. And Ronan. He actually was nominated for an Oscar for Wag the Dog and The Verdict. Uh, cinematographer was Gabriel Beristain. He's done Greedy, a movie we did. Blade 2 and Black Widow. Composer Carter Burwell, who's uh, nominated for two Oscars. One for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And the movie Carol. And then he also did Fargo, amongst other various films. Uh, he's done a lot of Coen Brothers films as well. Uh, uh, C-I-E-C, uh, uh, our episode in two weeks. Edited by Barbara Tulliver, who's done Signs, Heart 8, and The Last, uh, excuse me, The Lady in the Water. And produced by Jean Dominion. Dominion, I probably said it wrong yet again. He or, he or she, I'm not sure, has done Bullets for Broadway and All the Real Girls. Uh, this movie doesn't have a big cast, and I thought it did, Butler, but it does not. Campbell Scott as Joe Ross from Big Night Singles, Roger Dodger, and Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> yeah, I looked up, I was like, who the hell did he play in Jurassic Park? And I was like, oh, it was Dotson. Yeah, Dotson's... He's related to Dodson. He's not Dodson. Not Dodson. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid. Ricky Jay as George Lang, who's done Magnolia. He was in Magnolia, excuse me. Boogie Nights and Tomorrow Never Dies, a Butler Fave. Rebecca Pigeon as Susan Ricci, who's done The Winslow Boy, Staten Man, and Heist. She's also married to David Mamet, so, but not reason why she's in this film. But. Sure. Ben Cazara is Klein. He's in Roadhouse, Anatomy of a Murder, and The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Steve Martin as Jimmy Dell in a serious role. Uh, you might know him from The Jerk, Parenthood, Roxanne. Obviously, his performance, his appearances, excuse me, on Saturday Night Live and the TV show Only Murders in the Building. If you are a person who loves podcasts, who do podcasts, I recommend that show. It's very, very funny. We've like Steve Martin and Martin Short. Just That's true, too. I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong there. Felicity Huffman as McCune uh, from the TV show Desperate Housewives. She was nominated for an Oscar for her role in Transamerica. And she's also on the TV show Sports Night, to name a few. And then Ed O'Neill as FBI team leader. He doesn't have a name. <laughs> TV show Married with Children, and obviously the more recent TV show Modern Family. And then you got a little, you got a little Isaiah Whitlock Jr. in this movie. She from The Wire. I love the TV show The Wire. I recommend it. And he's also in Cedar Rapids, which he actually, in Cedar Rapids, he plays somebody who everyone thinks he's the character from The Wire, which is funny because then he tries to, he intimidates a bunch of these people, because which is great. It's it, it, So I, I'm a big fan of uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. So there you go. All right, Butler. I had seen this before. I don't know if you had heard about it or seen it or what. I knew the title. But What's your relation? Nothing else about this movie. I've seen other mammoth things. 
uh, obviously Glenn Gary Glenn Ross and a couple of his other other ones. Well, we you saw Spartan, right? With Val Kilmer. Yep, I seen Spartan, and then the one with Chiwetel, the Joe Ford. Oh, the, that's the one where he's fighting. Yeah, I don't remember. He's like doing like Red Belt or something like that. Is it Red I Belt? It's Red Belt. Yeah, the martial arts one. Yeah. Um, so I've seen those. David Mamet, for those who don't know, is a very famous playwright as well. He did lots of, lots of stuff for the stage. And that's when you watch his films, if you know that going in, I think maybe the it's palpable. Right. I think you, I think you can have an understanding of his type of dialogue, his Mamet speak, as they say. If you don't know that going in, I can understand why people maybe be turned off by David Mamet because his movies, although I will say this, his, his later films have become, uh, more visual than his earlier films. Yes. Which this is obviously an earlier film. When you're watching it, you're just like, this is a play. This is a play. Yeah. This is a play. I think his, his yeah. dialogue also gets a little, I'm not saying better, but a little more human. I don't know. Uh, yeah. More film. Like Red yeah. Belt wasn't written this way, but like Len Gary, Glenn Ross is so well written. It's kind of like, all right, whatever. But this is like, there are points in this where I'm just like, holy shit, stop. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not, this is not saying anything about the actors in this film because Campbell Scott and, and and Steve Martin and Ricky Jay, they're all really good actors. In Glengarry Glenn Ross, it's like the elite of actors in that film. It's right. like what's going on. Like like Jack Lemon and Al Pacino and, and Ed Harris and Alec Baldwin. I mean, there are just some heavy hitters in that movie. So I think when I'm watching that movie, I remember when I was watching the movie when it first came out, and this was when I was like just getting into film and getting into performances and, and directing and writing and all that stuff. I was like blown away by the movies because I'm like, oh my God, this is just fantastic. I was eating up all that, all that um, dialogue. Bro. So I will say that about that movie. Now, I will say this about this film. I don't think if you, if you don't really understand why it's called The Spanish Prisoner, it's really, I don't know if you can really, you might be confused going into this film. I still don't know why it's called The Spanish Prisoner because Ed Harris's character explains what The Spanish Prisoner is and that's, Oh, you mean you mean um, uh, Ed O'Neill? Ed O'Neill, right? Yes, Ed O'Neill's character explains what the Spanish prisoner is, and even before I read the notes, I go, "That's like the Nigerian prince scheme." Right. This is not what's running right here. This is totally just like a regular con. This is like no one's getting money to give to somebody else to get somebody out of prison. Like, I, right. None, none of that's happening in this. I don't know. Well, I think because because Jimmy Dell is working for uh, an unknown entity. Yeah, it's it, it's it is a little. It is a stretch calling this con the Spanish prisoner. Yeah. It's you know, like he likes the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. So, Mikey, so what are your first thoughts? Because that's where I was going with that. My first thought, thought was like the dialogue is just kind of like a lot of it's like I knew what I was kind of getting into going into it because it is really maybe. And I did, I have read, um, I don't remember if I read full versions of his play, but we did it to study him in college for his playwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mostly about his playwriting. I did read Glenn, Gallery, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, which I can never say. <laughs> um, but I read a couple of his other plays as well, or excerpts from there to learn like his playwriting style and obviously his ability to use swear words creatively. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as soon as the movie started, they're like talking like they're on stage in a really inorganic, uh, unreal kind of way. And Mammoth's style, which is like perfectly emphasized in... Um, in the character of uh, George. Oh, Ricky Jay? Ricky Jay, yeah. George Lang just speaks in Proverbs, basically. That's a lot of like Mammoth's kind of thing is like lines. It's a line. It's a line. And these people are saying it so robotically and have so little emotion that it's really tough to care about the characters in this film. And I figured that that was going to be an issue going in and it, it just kind of proved it right. And the fact that they're so vague. 
like in Glen Gary, Glen Ross, I said it right. Um, you kind of care about like Jack Lemmon's character. Like they're down in the Lex Salesman. Like, like when Alec Baldwin, like, well, which is only in the film version, not the play, that speech, you know, you feel bad for all the guys in the room getting yelled at. You know, fuck you, that's my name and all that. In this, I really like, I know that Joe's a good guy, but I also don't really care about Joe because A, for all I know, there could be a twist at the end that says he's not a good guy or B, Joe's a robot. So why do I care about a robot? Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, that was an issue I had. The mystery also wraps itself up like, hey, we got to end this. By the way, Joe's going to get away. Like Joe should have died. Well, how they wrap it up at the end, yeah, is a little quick, and we can get to that. A couple points. Glengarry Glenn Ross, I think why that works as well also is that it's not directed by Mamet. It's directed by Foley, James Foley. So you have a director who is more familiar with film, and I think he could probably add those elements subconsciously or not. That's true, yeah. I mean, also the fact that that's a more contained story. Yeah, but I understand what you're saying in terms of, especially because I'm, when we were talking about at the beginning, the conversation between... Uh, the conversations that Joe has with Jimmy and with George are, they don't, it doesn't feel like they're talking to each other. It just feels very stilted. They're just saying things like, there's like, what? Just saying fine. Yeah. Um, or or in the case of when they meet at the tennis courts, it just sounds like Jimmy's coming on to Joe. Well, in the, in, in respect, in terms of like how I viewed those characters with Jimmy, it was, I knew Jimmy was working an angle. So him being vague made sense. Him not really just kind of like, hey, I was just in the pool, you know, I was just, you know, like that stuff when he comes oh, out of the room, fake. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just makes more sense for his character to be that way, to be that vague, to talk like that, to talk quick and fast so that Joe doesn't have time to think. Sure. You know, like, hey, sign this and I'll get you and I'll set it up, sign this. And he has him sign the extradition treaty sure. uh, papers. With Joe, it's the opposite effect. It makes me not like Joe because I'm just like, what? like, is this guy dumb? Is this guy just... Is he dumb or is he obnoxious? Is he arrogant? Is he not, like, does he not understand what's happening? Is he a smart guy? Like, a very questioned uh, the character of Joe for me, just like you said. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, a lot of that stuff. But like I said, I kind of figured that going into it. My main issues are Joe. You need to like the one character that's not part of the con. Uh, And the way the mystery wraps up is just kind of like, Literally just, yeah, let's wrap it up. And there's a whole subplot with George, and George is sick. And he gets sick right after, during the vacation. Yeah. He gets hungover, but then the hangover turns into a cough, and he gets worse and worse, and now he can't cooperate in any stories or anything like that. Do so, you think it's convenient? Well, I thought it was part of the plot. All right, you've poisoned George. Maybe George is part of what, it. Or he's part of it. But then you go to the apartment, and George is killed. That would have made sense, though, if George was part of it. Like if, if, if he was going to the apartment to confront George because he found out that George knew something. Oh, and then sure. they killed George because George was always going to be the guy that's going to take the full, going to be the patsy kind of thing because he knew too much or whatever. Yeah. No, that makes a lot more sense than just the happenstance. Oh, he's out. He has the flu. He's out. Okay. George is out of the way. And then now George is there. Absolutely. You know, that, that makes a lot more sense. And I don't know if that was in there. I will say this, even though I said, I started off saying that, you know, I like David Mamet. I like, I, if you know, it's a, it's play, it's, you know dialogue that's meant for a play that's on screen, you know, you might like it a little better. I still think there should be some kind of focus on this is a film. This isn't a play. So you do need to have elements where you need to make the audience, you need to connect with the audience in a way where it's not just going to be your dialogue. So in that regard, no, they do not do a good job. And I can only chalk that up to being this is early Mamet in terms of his directing style, like I talked about before. So I'm wondering if he learned that lesson 
because when you're a writer, I mean, I know this, when you first start out and you're writing dialogue, you think that it's perfect and you think that that's the only way it should be said. And, you know, you want to start giving line read. You want to be like, no, no, say the line like this. But then as you go on, you well, hopefully you realize that, like, that's not the best way to do that. You, your actors need to to take ownership of your lines and dialogue. So you do need to collaborate with them on in that in that regard. Sure, yeah. So um, I do think there is there there needed to be probably a little bit more attention paid to that. So while I did, you know, herald it, I do believe what you what you're saying is correct. I, I agree with you there. George also is the only one where I think is acceptable the way he speaks because he speaks in line. I think that's why he's in a lot of mammoth films because he does it the way David Le- like you know what I mean. Like he, right. I think he like he know he gets it. He becomes the Confucius. Right. And so I think that kind of works for it is a lot of his lines are really quotable. I put a thief in my mouth to steal my brands. That's a really good one. Um, but I say I like beware all enterprises which require new clothes. Yep. These are those are all really uh, fun sayings that I think he says really well. But because that's all he says and it's the only way he says it. he's almost like the Greek chorus in this. Yeah. From. Yeah. And he's, he's his friend. But when your main character, Joe, is the guy we're following the whole time, the guy we're supposed to think about, I don't want him to be a robot. No, I hear you. George, it works for George. And I quite like George's character. I was kind of sad when he kind of gets written and put to the... He gets put away because, yeah, you, then you, you start getting the subplot of Susan and... Oh, I can't stand in this... All right, go ahead. Oh, my God. She is just absolutely annoying. She does a really good job. Pigeon. I, I'm not saying that, you know, she's a bad actress. I've seen her in other things. She's really... She's great in State and Maine. Yeah. Um, it's just... Well, I haven't seen it. Oh, you really haven't seen Stay in Maine? I haven't seen it. I well, know of You would love Stay in Maine because it's basically about an independent production trying to make a movie in this, like, small town. And it's it's got a lot of good people in there. It's really good. I think you would like Stay in Maine. I'll check it out. But, like, she keeps saying, like, especially at the beginning, it's just, ah, oh, you're so nice. You're so nice. You're so nice. You're so nice. She says it so often that I get that she's trying to ingratiate herself with him. But it's just, like, if I hear her say he's nice one more time, I wouldn't mind if she got thrown out of the plane. Like, yeah. when I heard of the, like, the, the main plot involved a murder, which the murder is George, which comes 20 minutes before the end of the movie. Yeah. I was like, please let it be her. Please let it be her. Please let it. I just, she was so annoying the whole time and she comes on so strong. Mm-hmm. It's just like, get the hint. Yeah. You, know, you know, when she, when it's revealed that she's obviously trying, she's either, I don't know if she's, der- if she's supposed to be, she, I think she's like a. Like, I don't think the intent was Joe goes to her and then she gets Joe caught. I think no, I think like that's the net. Yeah. No, I think she's there to to help out. But if in case this happens, she's there. She's there. Yeah. If we give him somebody to turn to in case he ever gets to that point, and then we can still set him up. So that's why she's got the people talking to her the whole right round. Yeah. Right. And I think that if I know that when the reveal at the end that you find out, oh my God, she's against him that everything else makes sense. I just think it comes so late in the film that everything else is still annoying. You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah. Not like you're saying, like if it came 30 to 45 minutes within the film, then I kind of forgive the stuff in the beginning of the movie. Exactly, yeah. But 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 as you move forward, you're just kind of like, oh, I'm still bothered by you on the plan. Like, I had to deal with this for an hour and 20 minutes. And, and again, and that again also goes back to the other point where I'm just like, Joe, I don't understand how you cannot, like you were purposely... <laughs> Uh, obtuse to this fact because it's like the script says I don't understand it. You know, I, I'm super brilliant. I've created this formula. Right. I need to protect this journal at all to all costs. I have two keys. No one can look at this formula. Not even you, uh, Susan, when I'm in, in on vacation. Turn around. Yeah. Oh, here, FBI agent guy. Yeah, don't exactly. Bring and then he, and then he oh, takes me, it. You said, my eye out. you said, bring it. Why don't, would you bring it? Why don't you just bring the fake one? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, it, there's a lot of things. The FBI guy didn't say bring it. He was almost surprised by it. What's this? 
Yeah. This is the real stuff. But like, it wasn't part of their plan. And I was watching. I was watching when he puts it up there and he's like, nobody, never nobody went to it. Yeah. There was no handoff. But at the same time, as I'm watching him, I'm like, it's going to get switched off. You know, wait. I knew that, yeah. but I'm like, there's no, they don't give him an opportunity. But, but here's the other thing too. It's a different notebook. It's smooth. It's not rich. He's got yeah. ridges on it. How do you not realize that? So, yeah. And again, are you that dumb? Like, I don't see, that's the thing. Like, I, I get that he's being duped, but he is so smart about like doing the process, which is this unknown entity that we don't understand. Yeah. You never get to know what the formula that he's holding. Right. That it makes, it makes more sense if Joe Ross is not as, is not played by somebody who is so good looking like Campbell Scott, or it needs to be somebody who has no social skills. Doesn't, you know what I mean? Like this is yeah. like, um, can't handle people. This guy looks between like Kyle McLaughlin from Twin Peaks and Superman. Mm-hmm. And he can't be dumb. No. Like he can't. Yeah. It, well, it needs to be somebody that doesn't understand social cues. Like somebody that is just like buried in the books. Like, for the lack of a better a little example, bit. like somebody from the Revenge of the Nerds cast, like, but like not as, not comedy. Like somebody who right. just is all about the numbers and stuff like that. Or maybe like a little, a less, a, a less jokey and, and uh, Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters. Like something sure, like yeah. that. Like that needs to be this character because then, then you could understand why he gets duped and you can understand why he gets, um, takes roles with the life. Of, yeah, you know, all that. It just doesn't make sense. And like, the other thing is like Steve, like Jimmy, like yelling at, uh, not yelling, but like putting off Joe at the beginning. Oh, what was that for? When, the when he takes the picture? No, afterward. Oh yeah. When he sees him. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Cause you're going to lose your mark. You're going to lose your mark right then and there. I think that's a, I think that's about getting the upper hand and getting the leverage. Don't like letting him. I think that's just keeping him, him feel weaker. Well, I think it's also keeping him not comfortable. Or just kind of keeping okay. him on my edge kind of thing. I think it's just controlling that narrative, I think. Sure. I think that's what it has to do with. But then the, like you said, the camera thing also doesn't make sense to me. Not the introduction, I'll pay you a thousand dollars for that camera. That's a good introduction. Right. But Susan constantly saying, I don't think he was on that plane with us. I don't. So you purposely try to make it seem like he's not on your side? Because like, unless you're playing two cons. You are. Or it's like, if you don't bring this to my lawyer, then I've also got you being suspicious of going to the FBI, so I've got a two-prong attack. You're playing every angle. I think sure, okay. I think that's what it is. And also, I will say this to go back to like him being mean with Joe and stuff like that. That makes Jimmy apologetic. Oh, please, let me do so. Let me take you out. Let me take it. Let me get you to the club. Like, so it makes him trying to make up for that. And I think Joe's going along with it because, okay, well, you know, we did have that little tough. Okay, fine. I'll go along with it. Okay. Well, here's the, but here's my other problem with Joe. He is willing to drop everything for a woman he never met. And I think that's where the, I think that's where the Spanish prisoner aspect comes in is, is the sister. Okay. But still you, I don't wonder like why you've never talked with her. You've never met her. You, you only seen one photo, which we don't get to see. So we don't really know how beautiful she yeah, is. The one photo he holds it up and it's blocked by the light. And then you see it again on a side angle. It's like this, this doesn't make, I, I didn't buy that. And I didn't buy Joe's. Uh, initial like oh I really need to be, I'm gonna blow off Susan yeah I also didn't get yeah. that like as annoying as Susan is Susan's very attractive right. and she clearly wants you right now and she likes you yeah yeah so it's, it just didn't make sense for me to go like you want this invisible woman who also despite the fact that she's actually in reality a 98 year old woman who lives in that building yeah they keep calling her Mrs. De Silva yeah Mrs. she's married yeah why did you make that part of the con and also why again why didn't Joe catch on to wait Mrs. Uh, wait I don't want yeah I know I know 
What, what am I getting into? I know. And the whole thing with he opens the package because it's the book and it's ripped and he fixes it. Just you, it, you didn't realize it was ripped when you opened it. Like, yeah. You're, you're, Did you think you ripped it open? So, with so, the... Yeah. So the idea for this con was that he's going to open the book because he's going to be, he wants to know what it is because she's purposely telling him, you don't know what it will give you. What can you open it up? That's why she's telling him, opening sure, the book. Yeah. And then you, so you're assuming that he's going to open it up wildly, that he's going to rip it. If he sees it's ripped, I just wrap it back up. And what's Jimmy going to say? It's ripped. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't open it. Just lie. Yeah. <laughs> and then what they also knew that he'd go and buy it. Buy another book? Yeah. I t- see, that's it. I don't, I don't get any of that. I don't. That's, we talk about this before. I've talked about this in the podcast recently, actually, about how character shapes your story. And for me in this movie, it's more, the, it's written for plot to shape the story. And I find it very hard to believe, especially the Joe character, not the other characters who are doing the con. Maybe I question like the assumptions that Joe, what they think Joe's going to do. But I, the Joe character just does things that is just for plot only. And it just moves the story along. Uh, and one of the big things, and, and explain this to me. How is Jimmy on the ferry at the end of the movie? Like plot. Exactly. Unless he was tailing them the entire time ahead of them somehow. But they would know that he would look and catch them. Catch McCune, who he thinks is the FBI agent, and Susan, who he re- that's when he discovers that she's not on his team. So she he hits the her three times. He's going to jump on the ferry. He's going to grab her and jump on the ferry so he can confront her. They knew what was all going to happen. It just it yeah. baffles me. And then they they run like, oh, wait, no. Well, why? Yeah. You're right away. And then Jimmy's just there. I, I don't I don't get that. It was just plot for plot's sake. I mean, I guess maybe. But then the U.S. Marshals are there. The yeah. U.S. Marshals suddenly knew he was going to be Yeah. I almost, you almost want to go back and watch the movie and see if the marshals show up in every other scene, see where they are. If you see the woman, you see the guy. If they, if I will say the woman looked familiar, and I actually put my notes down that like wasn't she the same woman that was at the airport terminal? Maybe, but if that's where they pick him up, then they should have been picked. Should they picked him up a long time ago? And given a wire. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Also, that's a terrible investigation if you're waiting for your your one person to get shot. Yeah, like, you're letting a you're civilian. Get, yeah, you're gonna yeah. get in trouble. No, yeah. And the other thing at the end, with dart. the other thing at the end is that they reveal that, it, you know, this was all engineered by Klein, Ben Gazzara's character. Klein hired Jim. Right. Had to do it all. But here's the thing. You throw that out and you throw that in a dialogue piece. It's easy to miss. It's hard for people to make that connection because if you don't remember that Gazzara's name is Klein, you don't know what they're talking about. You need to show him at the end being arrested. But also why? Why do we need to know that Klein was in on it? I don't know. I think I know that Klein's not in on it. So he will, when Klein bails him out, he's actually like, I beg you to get this back. It makes sense because then that's how Susan got the job. And that's how, sure, that kind of stuff. But I think, but I don't care how Susan, or you need a better explainer for all that. You need almost like that wrap up flash. Well, this is how it was done. But like Susan could have already had the job and just, she's going nowhere. Right. So which she mentions like a thousand times. (laughs) So she just took the job so that she could, this job so she can make some money. Right. 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 No, well, that's saying I don't not like this movie. No, but but it's not perfect. It's not. It's not. And I it's. I think that because we like the dialogue and because we like Mamet and we like you know we we we're familiar with other films like I love Spartan like the with Val Kilmer sure, yeah I love that movie but that has a lot of action it has some action to it and like intrigue like you know like um, oh yeah spy stuff so but I think if you don't. This is, I think this is a very hard movie for like maybe like a lay person or the casual uh, moviegoer to kind of really get into. Absolutely. I'm surprised this movie made as much money as it did. Right. Like remember Steve Martin is probably the reason. I remember the movie, excuse me. Remember the movie Confidence with Ed Burns? 
where he's the it's a big it's a huge con and he's like running a con but he's running a con against the con like that movie maybe yeah okay. a lot more going for it in terms of a, a con movie than sure. this one a lot of, a lot of those do yeah the other thing is like this is a con movie that focuses on the person getting conned mm -hmm. so you don't get all those twists where it's like you appreciate the setup as much mm -hmm. because you don't get to see any of the setup mm -hmm. which causes you to question the setup because at least in other con movies they explain to you why it is they're doing it the way they're doing it. Yeah. But in this is like, you don't know. And it's like, are you that smart that you would know everything Joe would move to do? Like he's like a pawn or a video game character that you're maneuvering because you're setting up stuff that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And also now that I'm thinking about all the things that make no sense, when he goes in the restaurant and there's a stand that sells lottery tickets. Yeah. Was that gone? Yeah. How did he not see that? Yeah. No. Well that, that I want to go back and cause they passed by right at the beginning. Yeah. There's got to be a reason he didn't see that. My other, my other note with all that, when they were, uh, when they were going through all that with the police, like, why are the police assholes? Like, they're like angry. Like, you know, you don't see like everyday people get caught all the time. You're, you're kind of treating them like a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> they get a little, little too quickly. They do. There's your, there's your, there's your uh, apartment or like, no, he's like, there's your office. There's the pool. Yeah. There's the pool. And they're like walking away, like shaking their heads like guys. I mean, like. But to be fair, like, unless they already were onto him for, you know, they knew, hey, the other guy has already put a complaint against them for stealing the formula. Oh. So maybe they're showing him all this to be like, all right, right. let's see what's going on. And then they turn it on him in the interrogation room. Like, you see how this looks? And I'm just like, I don't. You got a Swiss bank account? Yeah. <laughs> oh, snap. Yeah, I know. But like, also, do you got any other accounts? Oh, no, no, no. How do you not remember the guy set up a Swiss? Yes, officer. I would set up a fifth Swiss bank account. Can't see how much, can never see how much information's in a Swiss bank account. Which I didn't know. I thought that was very interesting. So I never knew why everybody wanted a Swiss bank account. But also, if he wanted to, he could be like, I have $15 in that account. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll show it to you. Yeah. I'll give you permission. It would have made, it would have made more sense if they did that and then he had like $3 million or something like that. That's what I was waiting for. But he just goes, oh, I guess you can't look it up. You own the account. <laughs> Patty. <laughs> and he opened it up. <laughs> Uh, this movie was nominated for Mystery Writers of American uh, for Edgar Award for Best Motion Picture Screenplay, but it lost to Out of Sight. I saw that. Yeah. I've seen Out of Sight, but I don't remember much of it. Oh, Out of Sight's fantastic. Okay. You don't remember the George Clooney, uh, Don Cheadle? Um, like, I, I remember it. J-Lo, J Jennifer Lopez. You don't remember it? I remember it, but I have to, I don't remember... Like, I remember what it's about and who's in it, but I don't remember a lot about them. I can like, replay it in my head and go like, oh, yeah, yeah. I just, I know I've seen it and I know who's in it. <laughs> but it's like, I wonder what else was. I love that, but when they're in prison, it makes me laugh, but good. What else was out, like, mystery-wise? Because I don't think this is a very good mystery. Only because, like, I don't think there's anything for well, us. There, there is a mystery because we're trying to figure out what's happening. What's, why is Joe in trouble and is he going to get out of it? But the mystery is Jimmy screwed him over, which we knew he would from the very beginning that Jimmy appears. But when did you, I mean, when did you get that? I mean, I guess you knew ahead of time because you read the synopsis, but. If you're thinking back, when do you think that you don't trust Jimmy? Well, at first I thought Jimmy and Joe, based on the synopsis, when I clicked on it on Peacock, where it's now streaming, if you guys want to watch it, <laughs> I thought that the, the description in the scene that they play, like automatically autoplays, made it seem like, all right, maybe Joe and Jimmy get accused of this murder that supposedly happened, so they have to work together. Yeah. So at first I thought they are going to work together, but then it became pretty clear when... Again, because Susan keeps going, he wasn't on the plane. He wasn't on the plane. He wasn't on the plane. I was like, all right, Jimmy's the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So that's when it became pretty clear to me. Yeah. Like, and then 
it furthered it when he got mad about the package. I wanted you to meet her. I wanted you to meet her. No. This guy's this guy's up to no good. <laughs> this guy's a big weirdo. A big weirdo. You're a big weirdo. I guess in the movie, you're supposed to catch it when he talks to Jimmy on the phone. Joe talks to Jimmy on the phone about this meeting with the, he's like, when they're like, he's going to call you to change. We can tell him, he's gonna, first of all, he's going to call you to change the set of the meeting. Oh, he, he does. does. So when he calls and changes the meeting, he tells him to bring the process. He he never refers to it as the oh, yeah. process. Yeah, because only the business. So you're supposed to think that you're supposed to know at that point that Jimmy's, oh my God, J- and you know, Jimmy Jimmy's bad and Joe doesn't pick up on that. Okay, that's fine. I get that. Throw that in there. That's a nice nugget. That that works. Jimmy's bad. It's bad news. Jimmy's clearly bad news. And this is the first, this is one of the first movies that Martin does where it's a serious role. Um, you know, it's not something that he, I don't even think he's ever gone back to a little bit, maybe here and there, but. Here and there he's yeah, bad. But yeah. Yeah, I, I like him in this role as the serious guy. Right. And plays it well. And Mamet cast him after seeing Steve Martin on stage uh, in Waiting for Godot. So he saw him on stage. He's like, oh, I want you for this movie. And I guess I made it happen, which is a nice note. I've seen his Waiting for Godot. Steve Martin? In school, there was a recorded version of it, yeah. Did you like him? I did quite a bit. Yeah, actually. We watched two versions. One was him and one was like an even older one. I was like, I like Steve Martin's better. <laughs> but because like, I think there's something to what Mamet said with some, bringing somebody into co- from comedy into something dramatic. They've got this darkness that they don't usually bring out of them. But oh, yeah. Like playing the opposite of what you normally do. So you've got that in you. It's just the inverse. There's all that. All those comedians have a darkness. They just don't choose to. They choose to make fun of it right. rather than. Yeah. No, absolutely. Robin Williams is in a movie where he's the bag like in oh, Omnia or for photo, photo booth. Phone booth. One hour. One hour. One hour photo. Yeah. Like he's fantastic in those because yeah. it's like it's in there. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you're burying it down even deeper with all that comedy. Yeah. But he's done a few other serious things since then. I mean, I will say that like, you know, Jim Carrey in the number 23 is just. <laughs> Well, that, that movie's just kind of weird. But yeah, Jim Carrey's done a bunch of other dramas that are better. Yeah. And then he wrote Traitor. I keep forgetting that Steve Martin wrote Traitor as well. Oh, that's true. Which I like Traitor. Do you got any other quotes that you like? I mean, they're pretty much all, I mean, other than Dog My Cats. <laughs> My note for that scene when she's on the plane is like, lady, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> George Lang's, we must never forget that we are human. And as we humans, we dream. And when we dream, we dream of money. I was like, yeah. Where he's like the interest paid in advance on a debt that never comes due. Like he's just got full of Confucius things. When uh, Susan's trying to come in on way too strong against Joe when he's in her, when she's in his apartment. Mm-hmm. She's like, if you ever want to stop by to talk and have dinner or dinner and breakfast. I'm just like, Ooh, I know what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, I, I, I rolled my eyes, but I still liked it. Cause I was like, I mean, it's, it's clever. It's way too on the nose, but it's kind of clever. I've never heard of that one before. But yeah, I mean, those were like it. I put down a note that said, motherfucker doesn't read. And I have no idea what it actually has to do, but obviously I was very uh, annoyed at one part of the uh, the film. The process, maybe flip, when he's flipping through the process, this is it? Oh, maybe, yeah. Nah. Got nothing. Roger Ebert says that, observes that, Mamet's characters often speak as if they're wary of the world, afraid of being misquoted, reluctant to say what's on their minds. As a protective shield, they fall into precise legalisms, invoking old sayings as if they're magic charms. Often they punctuate their dialogue with four-letter words, but in the Spanish prison, there is not a single obscenity, and we picture Mamet with a proud grin on his face, collecting his very first PG rating. I, um, except for the very beginning of what he was saying, I yeah. 100% agree with that. I do think that they... 
they talk as if they're afraid of being misquoted. Yeah. That's actually the perfect, that's the perfect way to describe Mamet's uh, writing style. Mm-hmm. And I do think he's smirking all the way to the bank while he's not. Well, not to the bank. <laughs> like, yeah, I have put any swears in this one, motherfucker. What do you think I went there? Which I didn't miss. At first I was like, this isn't going to be Mamet without swearing. Yeah. And then I was watching him like, I'm actually okay with the not swearing. Uh, I do think in some cases it seemed a little out of place. It maybe made Joe seem less human, not getting frustrated enough. I think Joe's the character I had the most problems with, uh, him and Susan. A lot of time, Mammoth's characters explode into these tirades of obscenities that make them seem less human. Yeah. So the fact that he's holding back in this, I think both works in his favor and doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's got to find the right balance. Uh, but I think the fear of being misquoted line from Ebert is perfect for this movie and all of Mammoth's movies. Uh, reviewer Paul Tatara says that he criticized the film for using well-worn plot mechanisms and, quote, stiff characterizations and ridiculous line readings. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's like, it's like you said, it's not for someone who doesn't know how Mamet writes. Yeah. So it is ridiculous line readings. And I completely agree with that. And had I not known that, or I always also make this comment for a lot of other playwrights, which are screenwriters, which I kind of excuse for Mamet, which is kind of a double standard for me is like, he doesn't write like people talk. Right. And you got to know that going into it. Yeah. Um, and I think somebody like Mamet, where he's so well-known and he's such a name and he comes from stage, it's like, okay, that's excusable. Um, but it's not excusable for a general audience who's not going to know that. So if you want to make money, I don't know about you. If you want Mamet to write your dialogue for you. Yeah. Or at least old man. Like, like I said, I like Red Belt. I like Spartan. There are other Mamet films that are very good. Like Heist is very good with Gene Hackman. And that's because I don't know if I've ever said this in the podcast. But God Heist is Mamet. Yeah, but Gene Hackman can do anything. Like, I know sometimes he comes off as a jerk, but, you know, in terms of... He'll still do it. But he can make any dialogue, anything he's saying, just feel so natural. Yep. Yeah, so... He might have hated Royal Tenenbaums, but he did great in it. <laughs> yeah. He's great. That's why I always forget it's a David Mamet. I always think of it as a Gene Hackman movie. Yeah, no, yeah. But it's such a... You know, there are other really good men. So I guess, Mother, who, who are you recommending this to, if any? It's tough. I guess people like mystery films. I mean, it's not really much of a mystery, but it's interesting enough that keeps you along. It's it's political intrigue mystery, which I don't think there's enough of that kind of like I always like corporate espionage kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I liked about The Recruit, at least when I first watched it. I thought it was much more corporate espionage that I think that like that stuff happens. And that's kind of like the world today. A lot of that's happened as what goes on and like theft between companies and billion dollar ideas are just as important and just as dangerous as stealing, you know, yeah. company secrets. I think that there are really quotable lines. Like we just went through a lot of George's lines and some of Susan's lines, even though she's super annoying, are just like, they're good. It's good dialogue. It's good quotable dialogue. And they don't want to be misquoted. So it's clear, it's concise, it's interesting, mm-hmm. um, but it's not human. So at the same time that you're involved and invested in listening to the dialogue, you roll your eyes as well because it's not human but you still like the dialogue. Like I have a love-hate relationship with the dialogue, mm-hmm. um, but you have to like stage plays and maybe screenwriting. And like I said, maybe mysteries, but there's a lot that you don't get to see. It's cool to see Steve Martin as the bad guy. Yeah. So I would say if you want like a, it's, it's short. A uh, hundred minutes, I said, which is a good, which is a good length. It doesn't go too long. I think it's a nice watch. It's a good watch. It's on Peacock. So you have to go crazy trying to find it. And, 
it's a lesser known 1990s movie that you can actually find, which, yeah. I mean, go look, if you find, watch it now before it goes away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you, like, why do you think it's forgotten then? Because, I think, just because of everything we've said? Because of everything we said, other movies came out that beat it that same year. It came out during a really tough, like, couple of weeks with a lot of different entries. Like, I know Lost in Space, a lot of people hated it when it came out, mm-hmm. but it was hype. Oh, it was, it was, everyone was excited about Lost in yeah. Space. And there was a lot of good people in that film. I know I joked about how, uh, Battle Block in it, but it was William Hurt, it was Gary Oldman. So you had people in that movie. Yeah. So I think that's going to hurt it. And it's coming out during a time when you're getting pumped for the summer season. Yeah. You got to remember 98, you've got Armageddon coming out. And that was a yeah. huge film, even though my wife hates it. It's a huge film, and everyone's excited for that. You got to put this out late August to, like, November. Yeah. I think once it gets to November, you're going to get buried. Oh, yeah. It just doesn't have names in it either. No big names. Yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of the release date. I always view spring films as, uh, like, you are, they're more uplift, upbeat. They're like a precursor to the summer films. Yeah, so I never... Springboard, yeah. The, the movies like this, these movies that are not... That are serious, but they're not like happy endings so much. They're just more like dramatic turns. I always picture those as fall and winter films. Just, I don't know. I just, I don't know why. Maybe that's just what I've been conditioned. Do you think this film would do better if it had a downbeat ending? If Joe lost? No, I th- I think that this, the a lot of the things that we discussed, I think that needs to be cleaned up for this film to really explain the con and stuff. Yes. I, I think, I think this needs a couple more rewrites and whatever, if if I'm wrong there, if people disagree, that's fine. I think there's a lot of good stuff in this film. Sure. I just think, uh, you know, I there's a lot of stuff that uh, is left on the table for me in terms of just like, just, you know, I have all these questions and I have all these, you know, we talked, we went through them. And I think that all adds, it might not be like, like you said, like we keep saying these little things, but they add up. And they add oh, to me just not really wanting to love this as much as I want to love it. Um, but that being said, again, I still like major parts of it. I think the dialogue is the biggest thing for me with this movie. In terms of what I like, um, and and, the, and some of the performances, but yeah, no, nah, it's it's just uh, it it's definitely like we say in the opening. We recommend you revisit it. Go, you should watch it. Yeah. You definitely should watch it. Yeah. All right, where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and video content we have for you. Uh, and while you're listening to this podcast, go ahead and leave a, a like, a rating, a review. All that good stuff helps the podcast grow. We might be leaving, but we still have over 200 episodes that can totally be monetized later on. <laughs> Come on. We, well, let's go. But, but let's hold it on to that dream. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Join us next week. We're going to be going to the 80s to visit your youth or my youth or somebody's youth. We're seeing Batteries Not Included. Not directed by Spielberg, but produced by him. Um, the Red Bird movie. This is correct. So that is next week. Until then, everyone, have a great rest of your week. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. Go dog some cats.